We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. Man, it's good to see you guys. You, you did it. You survived Thanksgiving. And some of you didn't think it was possible. You even invited some of your relatives today. Wow. Some of you are like, man. Like I talked to several people in the foyer and they're like, no, I did not survive Thanksgiving. Well, hey, whether you survived or not, I'm just glad you're here because I'm just telling you, there's nothing like joy and presence of God to to press the reset button. And maybe you're here and you're new to this whole God thing. Hey, it's okay. Uh, we're, we're kind of just a big, awkward church family of people trying to experience more of God. And if that's something you're even remotely open to, you're going to get some of that today. And that's why, like, so my wife and I actually planted this church a little over 18 years ago because we just wanted to create an environment where people could be adopted into the joy of the Lord. And I, I, one, of, one of my passions is really helping to plant life-giving churches all over the world, right? How many of you know there's a lot of life-sucking churches? And our church has even been life-sucking at times. I, I, it's like one of those things we're growing in, right? But I, I just, over the years, I, I've wanted to plant more and more churches, which is why, like, a portion of every dollar that you guys give here plants a church every four to seven days somewhere around the world, okay? Did you know that? Like, some of you, you didn't even know how many churches you've been launching, but every four to seven days, our church has a significant hand in launching a church somewhere around the world. So just, you know, uh, three weeks ago, we were launching churches in Ireland. And uh, uh, two months ago, I was in Canada, all over the place, in Toronto and Calgary. And I want to tell you about one of the churches that, that, that we helped just encourage and launch a little over 10 years ago, there was this dynamic couple named Jonathan and Natasha Lambert. They're just like fiery, um, just spitfire preachers and, and leaders that were going to uh, launch a life-giving church in Calgary. And so they were, they were our church plant. So we helped lead a, our, our, our church planting organization that we help lead here is called The Ark. They were Ark Canada church plant number one for us, right? We thought, let's start with a fiery couple because come on, Canada needs some more churches, right? The frozen chosen. We just needed more fire up there. So uh, Jonathan and Natasha were church plant number one. I just got to celebrate the 10th anniversary of that church just a couple weeks ago. I was up with them in Calgary and man, you guys, they are blowing up. And, and here's how I knew it was like our kind of church. To celebrate their 10th anniversary, they were giving away free tattoos in their foyer. Come on. I'm like, that's my kind of church. I'm just saying, you know, we need churches that are out of the box. And some of you are like, that's a little too out of the box. I don't care, okay? Better a little wildfire than no fire. Is what? I, no, actually, I love you guys so much. Jonathan, could you come on up here real quick? Natasha's in the house, but Jonathan is, is also in the house here. Jonathan, so come on up here. I, this, I love these guys. I just, I, I, not only do I love you guys, I love your whole family. And um, 
I, I just, there are very, very, very few churches that I go to and I say, man, this is just like Substance, Experience Church, Calgary, come on. And yet, you know, you're, you're growing like crazy and the call of God on your kids and on you guys is just so fun. I, 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 I said this to you at first service, but I just, there is an anointing on you and your church for such a time as this. And this guy has been leading, is launching churches all over Canada. I mean, it's so fun to watch what the Lord is doing through your leadership. And of course, guess who's bringing the word today, Substance Church. Hey, so listen, if you're in downtown, West Side, Monterey, at any of our campuses, would you all stand to your feet, both here and wherever you're at, and give a warm Substance welcome to Jonathan Lambert. All right, well, uh, stay, stay on your feet. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. You're up, so we need to. Uh, we want to take a moment, honor your pastors. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, we got a lot to be grateful for. I we came in on Friday, and we uh, in like we jumped right into a very hostile environment. We went to the Wild game with Toronto Maple Leafs jerseys on, and uh, and it felt good uh, because the Leafs won. Um, but I, I love Minneapolis for the sports. My son is 10, and he's, uh, he told me this week that he just traded Jefferson off of his fantasy football team, and I almost cried. I was like, son, what are you doing? Um, so whatever, we'll have a talk when I get home. Um, but we feel so at home here and so love your pastors, and Pastor Peter and Carolyn, we've been learning from them since before they knew who we were. Uh, we've been leaning in their direction, and it's amazing to have examples uh, in ministry, but also in family and in marriage. And we're, like every time we're around you, we're taking cues, we're taking notes. We're out for dinner last night and we're driving back and we're talking about all the things we learned over dinner and the things we wanna implement in our lives and our church. And, and so you have a real honor, and I know you do, um, to, to sit under the leadership and the vision and the bold, reckless faith of Pastor Peter and Carolyn. So can you just honor them, show your appreciation to them? We just, we love this church, Pastor Nate and Jess and so many, so many great friends. And uh, since you're up, let's just read the Bible together. Can we do that? Um, I won't keep you up the whole time, but we're here now and it feels good. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, which I, I, I mentioned to Natasha earlier, um, don't say I'm as good as dead until I'm actually dead. Like, I don't, that's not a great descriptor for somebody who can hear you. <laughs> it's probably somebody at your Thanksgiving dinner just over sitting in a, in a recliner somewhere. Oh, he's as good as dead, but invite him to the table. Um, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
God, we thank you so much for your presence here today. God, thank you that every person in this room in each campus is here on purpose for a reason. God, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts. God, our, make our spirits attentive to your spirit that we'd hear and lean in your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Why don't you grab a seat? And uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. Minneapolis and Calgary have very similar weather. So it's also nice coming to visit because we don't have to pack for multiple seasons. So we like that. That's, that makes it easy. Um, okay, speaking of making it easy, in Hebrews, in Hebrews here, this passage that we're reading, the author of Hebrews makes it sound like faith is so simple. Like Sarah, and the backstory is that Sarah um, could not have any children. Her and Abraham had a journey of infertility. And when she was old, as good as dead, Boom, has a baby. And you read it in one verse, and you're like, man, faith is like one verse. That's simple. That's, that's easy faith. Well, Genesis chapter 18 gives us a little bit of backstory and helps us understand it wasn't that simple for her. In fact, it was so complicated and nuanced for Sarah that when she heard the promise of God, she actually laughed at the thought that the promise could happen. It says in Genesis 18, verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Abraham's in the corner like, I hope so. I hope we're not done. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But the Lord said, yes, you did. The author of Hebrews, he's using the story of Abraham and Sarah to encourage new Christians who were alive under the reign of the Emperor Nero. So that they were, they were facing intense persecution. In fact, it was Christians that got blamed by the emperor for the fires in Rome, even though there's no evidence to prove that they were the cause of the fires in Rome. But because they got blamed, they were then arrested, and as then they were, after they were arrested, they were being murdered, they were being fed to lions in public assembly for people's entertainment, they were being hunted down. This was not an easy time to follow Jesus. So I just, I throw that in there, it's important that we have context for where the Bible's coming from so that, you know, you don't think that what you're facing is all that bad, right? And, and it might be that bad, but the lineups on Friday at the Mall of America were not real persecution. Not getting the deal you wanted is not real persecution. Likely, what you're facing at work or even at home doesn't really compare to being fed to lions publicly at the XL Center. Like, they're just, it's a different level of persecution. And, and the persecution was so great that many of the Christians we're turning from Christianity back to Judaism because Christianity was an outlaw religion, but Judaism was an accepted religion. And so to simply survive, they're choosing to, to leave uh, Christianity and go back to their Jewish beliefs. And so into that context, the author throws Abraham and Sarah as an example saying, hey, I know things are tough, but consider Abraham and Sarah. And, and if you go back with me to verse 11, the two words that I want to be our primary focus today, the two that stand out to me, are even Sarah. Like Abraham always gets all the credit, right? He gets, the, he gets all the credit for being the father of faith. He's got that song written after him, like Father Abraham had many sons. Anybody know this one? Many sons have Father Abraham, and I am one of them. Do with me, so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, Father Abraham. And then you're, eventually you're doing the whole thing. That's his song. There's no Mother Sarah. She didn't even get a verse. It's not even in there. Not even a writing credit. But the author of Hebrews makes a point of, of saying, yeah, 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 this happened to Abraham. But then he says, even Sarah, even is being used here as an adverb to emphasize something surprising or extreme. So he's saying to a group of people whose faith is literally hanging and lives are hanging in the balance, don't give up. Because if God can do a miracle for Sarah, he's gonna do a miracle for you, even Sarah. And it's, it's almost like, like even, like surprisingly, Sarah, with all the odds stacked against her, Sarah, unexpectedly, Sarah, like this is strange and there's some disbelief to the language. It's as if the author's saying, listen, I don't get it either. I don't know how God works or why he chooses to work sometimes and not other times and, 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 and how he works, I don't get it. But I can tell you that if you're on the verge of quitting and you wanna give up, even Sarah, who had every reason to give up, saw a miracle. Even Sarah, past childbearing years, so old that they're as good as dead. Even Sarah saw a miracle. The title for our chat today is Even Sarah. And, and you know, maybe, maybe add a little tag to the title, like, even Sarah, so, so why not me? Why not me? Um, when, when I was younger, uh, and Natasha and I were married and in love, we're, we're still married and in love, to, to be clear. Um, but when I was younger, we, we lived in Vancouver on the West Coast, and I drove an old Volkswagen Golf. But it was like a little souped up. Not like really souped up, but like enough. It was lowered a bit, had some extra stuff on it, and made some noise that cars aren't supposed to make. Like, and, and me and my little Golf, little GTI, we did a great job of drawing the attention of the Vancouver Police Department. Most of it for excessive speeding, not for charitable work or anything like that. And on this one occasion, I'm driving... And I'm just minding my own business, but I'm minding it quickly. And uh, I see a car pull in behind me, and I don't think anything of it because it doesn't look like a police car. Then all of a sudden, these lights go on, and it is so unfair that police are allowed to have undercover vehicles, right? It doesn't make any sense. How am I supposed to know you're watching me if it doesn't look like a police car? There are no other professions where you can be undercover like that. You don't go to a restaurant, and somebody slides up to the table and says, Shh, don't tell anybody. I'm your waiter. I'm going to hook you up. That doesn't happen. You don't go to the doctor's office and somebody just sits down beside you in the waiting room and says, hey, man, here's your prescription. That's a drug dealer. That happens. That's a drug dealer. Don't take it. But we got these, you know, it's this undercover car and all the stuff. And so he walks up and I roll down my window and, and I'm, I'm prepared in season and out of season. So I had a car Bible. I don't know if anybody else travels with a car Bible. I was getting pulled over so much, I was like, I need a car Bible. So when I get pulled over, I reach for the Bible, my weapon in my dashboard, because Canada, I reach out, I pull it, I put my Bible on the dash, and I'm like, okay. And I'm just hoping 
that at some point as he comes up to the window, he's gonna see the Holy Scriptures. He's gonna ask what I do. I'm gonna be able to tell him I'm a man of the cloth. And somewhere, he's gonna feel convicted about skipping church, and then he's gonna let me off my ticket. That did not happen this time. This man was definitely not a believer, not impressed. Writes me a big ticket, and I was like, man, this is unfair. He drives away, I'm like, man, there was a, there was a tree branch in front of the speed limit sign. There's, this, is, this is not right, and so I'm gonna take him to court. And so I took him to court. Because I had heard that if you challenge a traffic violation in court and the police officer doesn't show up, it gets thrown out. So I'm like, there's no chance this guy's gonna meet me in court. So I waited, my court date came, and I went in, and you, go, you gotta check in at a little desk. And so I walked in to check in, and I'm giving my name and my driver's license and everything. And it's like the hot breath of Satan was on the back of my neck. <sighs> Mr. Lambert. <laughs> Did you think I would miss this? Well, I had hoped. He says, Here how's, here's how this is gonna go. We can walk into the courtroom. It's gonna be you and the testimony of your little GTI against me, a 20-year veteran of the police force. And then we walked together over to the teller and I paid the $450 and I left. That's how that went. I was busted, I was so caught, there was nothing I could do to get out of the situation. Sarah um, has this really interesting exchange with the Lord in Genesis chapter 18. Um, where she hears the promise of God again, and she laughs, thinking she laughs to herself, but the Lord hears it and says, hey, why is Sarah laughing? She's like, she's busted, she's caught, I didn't laugh. He's like, I'm God, you did laugh. I heard you, I'm right here. Why does this matter? Why does the Holy Spirit have the author of Genesis include this moment in here? Why does it matter in Hebrews to the churches being persecuted? Why does it matter to us a couple of thousand years after Hebrews here in Minneapolis, in North American Western church culture? Why does it matter? Well, this is not the first time that God has spoken to Abraham and Sarah. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, God showed up to Abraham, then 75 years old, Sarah 65 years old, after a long journey with infertility, and said, hey, I'm gonna make you a promise, you're gonna be a nation, there's gonna be descendants that come from you, it's gonna be amazing. Well then, in Genesis chapter 13, which is a few years later, nothing has happened yet, which would be frustrating, but God shows up and speaks to Abraham again and says, hey, Abe, just wanted to remind you that promise is still a thing, you're gonna be a nation, da-da-da-da-da. Abe's like, okay. Then in Genesis 15, and now it's been 11 years. He's 86 years old. Um, Sarah's 76 years old. And God shows up again and says, hey, guys, this is awesome. Have you painted the nursery yet? They're like, why? There's nothing. We're old. He said, no, no, you're going to have a baby. And then in Genesis 17, Abraham is now 99 years old. Sarah's 89 years old. And God shows up again and reminds him of the promise. And then Genesis 18, God shows up again to remind Abraham of the promise again, and it goes like this. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted his eyes up and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now, what, what separates this encounter between the Lord and Abraham from every other encounter that we've referenced is that this time, Abraham doesn't know it's the Lord. 
Abraham and Sarah, after all of the promises and the adventure and the waiting, um, after the emotional roller coaster of disappointment and then getting your hopes up and then another negative pregnancy test, they've settled back into life and memory. They've, they've, just, um, they've been going about their business. This is a spot where Abraham built an altar. They, he had powerful worship moments here. He had invested. He bought land. He bought a cave. They had community. They had established some routine. And promise after promise, now 25 years later, later, here they are doing what they always do, where they've always done it, comfortable and known. It's hot. Sarah's working away inside the tent. Abraham's working in the field. And he comes to get a break in the shade of his doorway. And three men are off in the distance. Now, this is what's called the Theophany. So it's an Old Testament cameo appearance of Jesus where he drops into the timeline of Scripture and interacts with one of our Old Testament characters. Now, this is the only Theophany in all of Scripture where Jesus shows up with an entourage. So Jesus rolls up, and he's got angels on either side. I mean, this is a bad entourage. They're, they're, they, they, but, but they don't look intimidating. They don't look celestial. Abraham doesn't even recognize that they're angels. He just thinks they're men. And he runs out and he bows his head. And he says, oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. That's important to know that the word that he uses for Lord here is not a term that, that recognizes divinity. It's simply a term of respect, not reverence. It's, it's like saying, um, hey, welcome, sir. Great to see you. <laughs> So he, he, again, because he thinks he's just a man, he says three men, and then he gets close, and it's like, oh, it's, it's somebody dignified, but, but it's not divine. And, and so he kicks into hospitality mode like he should do. He said, let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servants. So they said to him, do as you've said, they're like, yeah, who doesn't want some water and a morsel of bread? I love morsels. Now, we don't have time today to get into the full implications of just these two verses. But I want you to, to grab with me for a moment. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. And Abraham, without knowing it's Jesus, says, let me get some water to wash your feet. Like, this is 1,700 years before Jesus would get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. 1,700 years before Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham, before he would take the cross and hang there for the sins of the world, 1,700 years earlier, Abraham brings water to wash the feet of Jesus, brings water to satisfy the thirst of living water, brings bread for the bread of life, offers shade to the one who would be our shelter, gives rest to the one who said, no, I'm gonna invite you into my rest. This is significant. This is service, and service is always 
a setup. Abraham doesn't even know or comprehend the full weight and measure of what he's doing. And sometimes it feels that way for us. I want to encourage you. You don't know the full implications of giving in an offering. You don't know the full implications of saying, yeah, I'll serve on team. You don't know the full implications of inviting somebody to church. But when we serve the house, when we serve the vision, we're serving the Lord. We serve because it puts my heart in proper posture before my king. I serve because it takes my eyes off myself. I give extravagantly because it helps detach me from the world. I, I, I serve because it's an investment in future generations that I can't even comprehend. Abraham had no idea. Like, think about it. He's washing the feet of Jesus. But he's washing the feet of, like, Jesus. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of flour, knead it, make some cake. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good. I just wonder what that process is like. Just grabbing calves. Oh, tender, not good. Tender, oh, and good. Yeah, this one. <laughs> Gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Uh, the house is, is thrown into a flurry of activity. Uh, the tent becomes an Airbnb. It's, it's like a bed and breakfast, and, and Sarah's baking. And, 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 and at this moment, Abraham still looks and thinks these are three ordinary men. But then they said to him, this is in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 18, where is Sarah, your wife? That would have rocked Abraham back on his heels. How did three strangers know his wife's name? Now, even if they had been in the area for a little bit, even if they had heard some stories about Abraham and Sarah, and, and even if they had heard about the exploits, saving Lot and defeating kings and the other things that may have happened, they would not have known her as Sarah. Why? Well, because her name used to be Sarai. And so it was, only a, it was only a few weeks earlier that God showed up and changed her name to Sarai. So the only people that knew her name was Sarah were God and Abraham. Hadn't had time to spread it. Well, how do you know that, Jonathan? Well, in Genesis chapter 17, which we'll read in a moment, the Lord shows up and gives a vision, or, or sorry, and talks to Abraham, reminds him of the promise, and changes her name from Sarai to Sarah. Well, well you, I, I don't know too much about like medicine, and children, but I've got four, and I know how we got them. And I know that it takes roughly nine months for a kid to happen, okay? And so in Genesis 17, God says in one year, Sarah's gonna have a son. And now in Genesis 18, he says the same thing. In one year, Sarah's gonna have a son, which means no more than three months could have passed from Genesis 17 to Genesis 18. So we know there hasn't been that much time. So we know there hasn't been time for all the news to spread and for her to change the name on her license and all these things. And so it's like, it's this moment where they call her a name that only Abraham and God knows. And all of a sudden he starts to realize, man, these are not just ordinary guys. These are not just wayward travelers. This is not just a respected figure. This is divinity in the flesh. And Abraham starts to clue into what's really happening here. And it is the same way, the way that Abraham clues into Jesus. It's the same way the world receives him today. Some people receive Jesus as common. Oh, he's just a man. He's just an ancient figure. No big deal. Some people look at Jesus and consider him to be uh, like dignified. 
Like he's, oh, he was a respected teacher or a prophet, a good moral figure. But man, once you know that he knows your name, once you know that he knows your story, once you know that he created you with a plan and a purpose, once you know that he understands how you feel and where you go and why you make decisions, once you know that he knows you, you know him as divine. And you see this progression. And perhaps with a chill down his spine, they ask the question that Abraham says, she's in the tent. The Lord said, well, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. I want to go back to Genesis 17, and I want to read the promise that God gave Abraham just weeks before this moment. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? <laughs> That's him laughing to himself. Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And then Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? Ishmael is a son that they had with the slave girl, Hagar, which was not the promise. Sarah was the promised mother. So they had this counterfeit. He says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Which seems like a reason. God, would you just bless Ishmael? And God said, no! I just want you to put yourself in Abraham's position for a minute. He's experiencing such disbelief that the promise of God could actually come to pass in his life that he asks God to bless what was never the promise. And God says, no, 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 I can't, I can't do it. Abraham, I cannot bless what I do not birth. Abraham, I can't bless what you try to accomplish in your own strength. Abraham, I can't bless what you, try to, what you try to do in your own merit and your own skills and your own talents and your own abilities. This is nothing against Ishmael. I'm sure he was a nice kid. But he was not the promised chosen one of God. And I think we waste a lot of time and a lot of prayers asking God to bless things God never birthed. Can we just talk about it? You can apply this to our relationships. God bless my relationship with my boyfriend who's not a Christian. He can't do it. Why? Because there's a way that you do relationships. We, we've been getting that prayer request at church. And so I know it's not really a substance issue. It's an EC issue. Again, people are like, hey, can you please pray for my boyfriend who's not a Christian right now? And we say, well, here, we actually have some advice. Dump him! <laughs> well, because you... You can't, God can't bless what God does not ordain. God, will you bless my business? And then God just needs to know, hey, are you building this business for you? Or are you gonna build it for my kingdom? Do you wanna be blessed so you can have more, so you can give more? What's the goal? What's the, what's the priority here? Because I wanna bless what I build. I wanna bless what's being done with integrity. I wanna bless what's kingdom-minded. God, bless my health. Dear Lord, Bless this Big Mac. And God just turns off. He's like, yo, I don't answer prayers like that at McDonald's ever. I can't. Bless your body with that. I can't do that. I'm sorry. There's, there's, we have a role to play in the promises of God coming to pass in our life. God can only bless what God births if it's his idea, if it's his plan, if it's his leading, if it's for his glory and his kingdom. He'll bless it. 
Now, what makes Genesis 17 really interesting is that Sarah does not hear that conversation with Abraham and God. She's not there that day. We have no record of her. And, and it's so interesting to me that um, Abraham, I don't even think he tells her about God showing up that day. I think that as a good husband, he knows that she's been through so much grief and so much pain and so much heartache. I'm like, man, how can I possibly tell her again at, at, at 89 years old? I can't give, I can't, I can't, man, I gotta shield her a little bit. He's just trying to be a good husband. All he really reports back is about the name thing. It's like, Sarai, listen, I was talking to God and he thinks we should really add an H to your name and I think it's kind of hot and exotic. So <laughs> I'm into it if you are. She's like, yeah, Sarah. This just feels good, Sarah. I like it. That's Genesis 17. Weeks later, Genesis 18, the Lord comes back and is having another conversation with Abraham. But I don't think this time the conversation is about Abraham. I think he's having the conversation because this time he needs to make sure that Sarah hears the promise. I need to make sure that Sarah has to wrestle with the reality of a promise I've given her that she hasn't seen yet. And in chapter 18, as the Lord is interacting with Abraham, Sarah's eavesdropping. So Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So her body's no longer able to do the things required to produce life. So she laughed to herself saying, am I worn out? And my Lord is old? Shall I have pleasure? Like after I'm, I'm this old and worn, like is there any? You know, I wanna point out that there's a spiritual principle at work here because Abraham laughs at God's promise first and then several weeks later, Sarah laughs at God's promise and just to the guys for a minute, you set the spiritual tone in your house. Sarah was almost given permission to laugh because Abraham had laughed. And so guys, the world needs strong men right now. So that means be a man who prays. And if you pray first in your home, there will be prayer in your home. If you worship first in your home, there'll be worship in your home. If there's sacrificial giving in your home and you do that, you will set the stage. If you give first, there will be giving in your home. If you honor first, there'll be honor in your home. Set the tone, guys. We need you, not just at home. Set the tone in the church. Be the expressive worshipers. Be the extravagant servers. You set the tone. She says, man, I'm like worn out clothes, old rags. This is how she thought about herself. There's no pleasure for me, pleasure, something rare, something luxurious, something exclusive. She's like, I don't deserve any of that. And she's talking to herself. And it makes me wonder the things that we say to ourselves. In fact, I think if you knew what the person next to you was saying to themselves, you'd probably have a lot more grace and compassion. I also think if you knew everything I said to myself, you'd be freaked out. I don't know what your internal dialogue is like. Mine, mine tends to be critical. So I wake up in the morning and I'm critical of myself. I'm critical of how I parent. I'm critical of, of, of how I, I, I husband. I'm, I'm critical of my ability to provide. I, I'm critical, I'm, I'm battling critical thoughts in like every worship service before I preach. I'm like, no, you, you can't do it. You didn't study enough. You don't know enough. That's my voice. Maybe yours is cynical. That prayer is never gonna be answered. 
you're dumb for even thinking that's possible. That is unrealistic. Your expectations make no sense. God does not want to do that for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's a cynical voice that you hear over and over again. Maybe it's a, comparative, a comparing voice. Like, you're not as good as they are. She's a better mom than you. She's got it on lockdown. Look at her Instagram post. He's a better provider. They're happier than you. We've got things that we say to ourselves. And you know, and the, the real preachy thing to say is like, it doesn't really matter what you say to yourself. What matters is what God says about you. You know what? It's cheesy, it's true. And I think it's important what the Lord says, not just to Abraham, but, but about Sarah. He says, the Lord said, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Why did she laugh? Now, Abraham, this is the final step, right? Like, it really clicks. He knows right here that this is the Lord. Because Sarah was not laughing out loud. She's not raffling in the tent. She's laughing to herself. So Abraham is like, oh my goodness, I didn't hear laughter, but if you say, I mean, he's, it's all clicking for him. Why did she laugh? Maybe it was bitter amusement, like, ha, 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 this is crazy. The audacity of the claim, kind of like a yeah, right laugh. Maybe it was a defense mechanism. You know that sometimes research says that we laugh as an adaptive ego defense. So it enables people to perceive comical absurdity in a highly challenging situation to almost write it off. Like, Sarah, you're gonna have a child. You're 89. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm so old. I'm never gonna have a child. Hey, Abe. <laughs> Laughing. I mean, we, it sounds ridiculous, but we do that all the time, don't we? We downplay our own challenge. I'm 38 and single. I love it. I'm happy, I'm never gonna get married. <laughs> we don't play it. Oh, this is just always the way I've been. <laughs> uh, maybe it was fatigue. We, sometimes we laugh when we're tired. My kids, they laugh when I got four, they laugh when they're tired, it's the worst. It's past their bedtime, everything's funny. <laughs> Shut up, go to sleep. This is not funny to me, you're up past your bedtime. I think this might have been a laugh of exhaustion. Like she doesn't, have, she doesn't even have the bandwidth to consider that she could have a baby. She's so tired, she can't even see it as being possible for herself. She's got fatigued faith. And she knows herself. She knows Sarah. She knows that it's not just a physical limitation. She knows she's been embarrassed and misunderstood and judged. She knows that it was Sarah who came up with the idea of Abraham sleeping with Hagar. That was her plan. Weighed down by the guilt of a bad decision. Sarah exhausted because her husband had given her over to prostitution to protect himself with a foreign king. Are you kidding me? As if there's not trauma attached to her life journey up to this point. Of course she's tired. And I wonder if there might be people in the room and you've also got fatigued faith. You've prayed, you haven't received the answer. You've hoped, and it hasn't worked. The Lord says, why does she laugh? And before Abraham can answer, the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Like when everything seems hard and difficult and impossible, when the miracle seems miles away, miles away when the promise seems like it's out of our reach, it's easy for us like Abraham and Sarah to drift back into life as we know it, to play it safe, to stop taking risks, we start to feel a little bit like faith numb. 
This is the exact situation talked about in Isaiah 29. A people had grown cold and hard to the Lord because they'd been believing so long. Then God says to these people that were just going through the motions, he says in Isaiah 29, verse 14, listen, I, I will again do wonder upon wonder. Like he said, I'm gonna grab your attention. I'm gonna wake you up with miracles. I'm gonna do wonderful things with my people. It's a beautiful promise. Amazing, the grace of God that he would do wonderful things with us even when we've started to give up on him. And then in Genesis chapter 18, when it says is anything too hard for the Lord, that Hebrew word for hard is pala. I found it interesting. This word appears 61 times in the Old Testament. Five times it's translated hard. 56 times pala is translated wonderful. Just think about that for a minute. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, if you translate it differently, it's an entirely new sentence. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything outside the scope of possibility of what he wants to accomplish in your life and my life through this church? Is anything too wonderful for him? It's interesting to me that the translators look back on her situation and circumstance, her emotions. They determined by, how, by what she was going through and what she must have been feeling that the logical translation is that is anything too hard but what if they had translated not based on how she was feeling in the moment, but on the promise of her future? Is nothing too wonderful? I wonder what you're translating as hard right now that God says, no, 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 translate it wonderful. I wonder what situation, God, this is so hard. God, it's so hard to get ahead financially. God, it's been so hard praying for my kid to get saved and nothing happening. God, it's been so hard believing for a healing miracle again. God, it's been so hard. Things were unexpected. Nothing's changing. I didn't see this coming. But what if you knew the future outcome? Would we translate it differently? What if we believed in the God of the promise who even Sarah... Oh, if Sarah, then he can heal my body. He can restore relationships. He can bring freedom. What if the difficult season is just an opportunity for wonder? The wonder of God's grace and power. Even Sarah, it never should have happened. Even Sarah, she should have been disqualified. Even Sarah had no reason to believe, but God gives wonder upon wonder. Charles Spurgeon says this, when we know God, we do not cease to wonder, but we begin to be at home with wonders. Believe the promise of God's grace and believing you shall live in a new world which shall be always wonderland to you. It is a happy thing to have such faith in God as to expect as certain that which to never human judgment is most unlikely. Imagine that. To not live in, oh, this is hard and that's hard, and but to live in, God, this is wonderful. You could do anything at any moment. God, I want to live in wonderland. I want to live in a place of possibility. I want to live in a posture where we're expecting miracles and breakthrough. I want to live in a wonderland. He's a good God. And how good is God that when we're going through the motions, when our hearts get hard, he steps in with wonder upon wonder. Pala upon pala. Our lives are not a combination of struggle on struggle. It's not hard moment after hard moment. Listen, with the right perspective, it's wonder upon wonder. It's grace upon grace. It's glory to glory. It's provision on provision. It's miracle on miracle. And there's wonder in your future. That's the benefit of the Christian life is there's wonder ahead. 
But the miracle of the Christian life is that there's wonder right here, right now. And Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and his name shall be called Pala, wonderful counselor. Right here in the hard moments, coming alongside saying, hey, we're gonna make something wonderful. Don't quit. It's going to be wonderful. Stay with me. It's going to be wonderful. I got a plan. It's going to be wonderful. I just believe that right here in this moment, God wants to speak to some tired, fatigued faith and remind you, hey, it's going to be wonderful. Would you stand with me from the front to the back? I want to pray together. It's going to be wonderful. Let's leave room in the holiday season for miracles that are unexpected. Let's leave room in our lives for, for God to do things that, that defy our expectations and our logic and our comprehension. I wanna live in that space. Let's leave room for wonderful. Jesus, thank you for every person here today. God, thank you for every person watching online. Thank you for Substance Church. God, thank you that you're unlocking a season of wonder. God, a season of wonder where there are gonna be miracles and testimonies and healing and restoration and marriages and salvation that we, God, we almost gave up because it was hard, but now we know it's wonderful and you're doing something beautiful. God, we thank you for the future of this house and for the wonderful season that you're taking us into. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.